Forbes Books presents The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority, public, private, partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. This week, my guest is best-selling author and philanthropist, John Hope Bryan. John advocates for economic empowerment through his nonprofit, Operation Hope, and is the founder of the Promise Homes Company, one of the largest minority-controlled owners of single-family residential rental property in the U.S. John, welcome to The Sky's the Limit. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Love the title of, the, of your podcast. Thank you. Hey, man, look, we, uh, we're happy to have you here, and uh, we want to get into the show. So um, I want to start off by asking you, I've watched you on television, obviously, and read a lot about you. And you often to, uh, you've been referred to as the conscience of capitalism. And you've told even presidential candidates that you have um, contributed your success uh, to capitalism. You're the second guest on my podcast, actually, who has expressed a profound appreciation for capitalism. The other one is Warren Stevens. Talk to me about your love of capitalism. Capitalism is actually a horrible system except for every other system. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, similar to like, it's similar to democracy in that regard. It's like, you know, it's just really not an, a great system, except that every other system is horrible. I'm getting some t-shirts made now that says Black Capitalists Matter. It's flying in the face of the perception that, it, particularly in the Black community in particular, that money is evil. No, no, no. The Bible says the love of money is evil. Right. That's right. Uh, this is part of, you know, Malcolm X famous quote, we've been bamboozled, we've been tricked, we've been fooled. Ambassador Andrew Young said that Dr. King's right arm in the civil rights movement on that balcony with Dr. King when he was assassinated, my mentor right. would say today to live in a system of free enterprise and not to understand the rules of free enterprise must be the very definition of slavery. We escape physical slavery, physical bondage in 1865, but then we were graduated into to debt enslavement because we didn't have the memo on how money works or how wealth creation works. The Freedmen's Bank of 1865, March, was run by another capitalist after Lincoln's assassination called Frederick Douglass. Now, people listening to this might be historians and go, oh, Frederick Douglass was a, an abolitionist. Well, the only reason he's able to do that is because he owned $6 million worth of real estate and he rented it out right. to working class blacks, which gave him financial freedom. So all money is, is freedom. That's all, that's all it really is. It's freedom to go, move, do uh, when you want, what you want, whoever you want, however you want. And capitalism is an opportunity for you to self-actualize yourself, to achieve generational wealth, accumulate some money, wealth more than money. Those two things are different. Right. Um, and gives you options in life. You can't, I, I, I think the short version of what I'm saying is that the last movement was in the streets and that was civil rights. This movement in the 21st century is in the suites, the business suites, that's right. civil rights. This issue is about class and poverty and, and self-determination through free enterprise and capitalism. And, and even, even to quote Shimon Perez, God rest his soul, he told me one day, 15 years ago, he said, John, people are gonna criticize your work. And when they do, you tell them, even if you want to distribute money like a socialist, you got to first collect it like a capitalist. So if you really know how money works right. in the world, we're all capitalists. That what people right. are really talking about the, is that they're talking about a, a progressive tax system. That's all they're talking about. 
the Nordic socialist countries in Europe, they're capitalist countries. They just have a very progressive and aggressive tax system. And we can get into why and all that stuff if you want, but they're making money the same way. I mean, China, a communist country, Russia, a communist country, are capitalists. <laughs> right. Very good point. Now, now, John, you grew up in Compton, right? Yes, sir. South Central Los Angeles and then South, South Central LA. Okay, so tell me, coming from South Central LA, how did you learn about capitalism? So I learned the hard way, first of all, which is probably the smartest way to learn or the best way to learn because you only have to learn once. Uh, once you get that lesson, you don't want to get it again. So my mother and my father argued over money, fought over money, domestic abuse happening in my household. Number one cause of divorce is money. Right. And we we had a we had a I tell all this, by the way, my newest book up from nothing. If anybody wants to get it, uh, which came out my, last October, the untold story of how we all succeed, which is really about managing your failures, not so much celebrating your successes, because right. if you manage your failures, you will become a success. If you get the right mindset, you will become a success. So my mom had the right mindset. My dad did, did not. My dad was very pride, prideful, very smart guy. Ambassador Young says that men and women fail for three reasons, arrogance, pride, and greed. My dad wasn't greedy, but he was full of pride. And he wouldn't listen to my mom, who was a financial and credit genius. So we had a gas station. We owned, we accumulated our own home, an eight-unit apartment building, a gas station, a cement contracting business. I mean, we had like six businesses, and we lost it all um, because my dad could make it but couldn't keep it. So that he made a dollar and we spent a dollar fifty. The more money we made, the broker we got. Okay, so family destroyed, divorce, mom goes one way, dad goes another. I live with my mother, my uh, play uncle who saved my life, uh, swallowing my tongue. Uh, he let us stay in his house. Uh, he went to go sell some drugs part time, some marijuana to make some extra money. To make a long story short, he rides his bicycle from where they were selling marijuana. He gets run down by a car, a truck that was full of drug dealers from the neighborhood he was selling drugs in. They were making a point. You're in the wrong turf. So he gets killed right in front of me. Here's my second lesson on uh, bad capitalism yeah. or making money, but not building wealth. Those two things are different. So I'm seven years old now. Okay. Now I'm nine years old and my best friend, George, who is smarter than me, uh, but had really bad role models and parents who weren't supportive. He ends up hanging out with my next door neighbor who was a drug dealer. Long story short, he gets shot and killed with Tweet, the next door neighbor. I'm now nine. So in addition to just being traumatized by all this stuff emotionally, and I think it's probably why I'm so resilient today because I dealt with all this and it's made me stronger. Uh, but in addition to that, I started getting this memo like making money and getting paid is overrated. My dad tried to get paid, but he didn't build well. He ended up broke. I took care of him the last 15 years of his life after 54 years of running a business. My uncle, play uncle, tried to make some money in addition to working a legitimate job. He ended up dead. Okay, drug dealing, there's no retired drug dealers. That's probably a bad occupation and it's bad karma. Okay, my best friend was smarter than me, but I actually never told this story before this way. My best friend was smarter than me, had better grades, but he ended up with the wrong, he had the wrong culture, culture is everything, he ends up dead. Okay, I trying to make some money. I don't want to do that either. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out, D, how can I build some wealth? What right. is the mindset? So I go to school, I'm nine years old, and this banker, this white banker, so most people in my neighborhood, they had a bad experience with white people. 
a white male. It's probably a police officer throwing him against a patrol car or something. My experience with a white male was this banker who, because of the Community Reinvestment Act, which was passed in 1977, basically says that banks have to reinvest in underserved neighborhoods like mine. Right. right. He came to teach financial literacy in my home economics class, which doesn't exist anymore. And I raised my hand in the class. I said, excuse me, sir, what do you do for a living? And how did you get rich legally? And he looked at me and he was, I guess he was trying to figure out, figure out when I was serious. <laughs> I was dead serious. The question was serious. The question was right. serious, right? And I, I never seen a, a man in a suit, a white man in a suit who wasn't a detective. Right? <laughs> and, and, and this dude looked legitimate. It was a really nice suit. I mean, this wasn't a broke dude. And he said, young man, I'm a banker and I finance entrepreneurs. I said, sir, I don't know what an entrepreneur is. I never heard that, that word before. But if it's legal and you're financing it, I'm going to be one. <laughs> so that's that's that, that's a short version. I mean, I can tell you more, but that's I started my first business in literally the next um, the next year. I was 10 years old and I've been wow. an entrepreneur ever since. It just, it just changed everything in my life. Yeah, it's, it's something that's in your blood when you are a true entrepreneur. It's, I, don't, I don't think you can teach that in school. I think it's, it's ingrained in your in your DNA. But you, you hit on a subject um, that, in, in fact, I interviewed Percy Miller. We, we touched on this kind of gently as well, but we started talking about wealth and, and generational wealth, right? And so we know, obviously, within the African-American community particularly, uh, that term is not one that I think has been uh, taught enough to uh, leaders of families and, and businesses, et cetera. And so you stated, just like I've mentioned many times, there's a fundamental difference between being rich, uh, having money, and being wealthy. Can you kind of expand on that generational wealth and, and what does it mean uh, from your perspective? Yeah, there's a difference between being broke and being poor. Being broke is economic, but being poor is a disabling frame of mind, sort of what we've been talking about here. And a, a depressed condition of your spirit, and you must vow never to be poor again. Um, and a lot of folks in my neighborhood where I grew up and in my communities today, they aren't broke; they're poor. They're like they're they're, they're depressed. When you're broke, you have a a, a, a hustling mentality. You, you you don't have any money, but you're out there. You're trying to make it, and right. um, and you have a striver's mentality, and you've got a you know you want to be part of the middle class. You want to you know you you're trying to come up. Uh, you want to be a winner, which you have the struggling class, the thriving class, and the winning class. And winners are builders, and strivers are the emerging middle class. And But surviving mentality, that's really, I mean, that's depression. You're an expert at what you're against, not what you're for. You think the world's all against you. You got a chip on your shoulder. You're, you're angry at the world or not feeling at all, which is worse. I, I think that the light that I'm trying to get to come on everybody's head is that anger is not a strategy. And frustration right. is not a business plan. Right. And I'm trying to get folks into the right mental approach of their life. Like, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Depends who's looking at the glass. It's the same glass. Right. Whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I take no for vitamins. Fine. Tell me no. Tell me can't. Tell me impossible. I don't can't and impossible, not even in my dictionary. Success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. These are not phrases that I use. This is the way I live my life. So right. so th that mean that means that you can't hurt me. Not you, you, but you whomever is interested in 
hurting me. I'm bulletproof to you because my my self-esteem and self-worth does not depend on your acceptance of me. God made me great, not you. So I can make a mistake and not be a mistake. So mental, let let me put it another way. Let's flip the script because maybe some of the people listening to this need some like really basic evidence of what I'm saying. Somebody's listening is going, no, John, John's wrong. This is really just about money. Forget building wealth. This is about making money. Just give me some money. Okay. If I took all the money in the world, redistribute it to everybody on the planet equally from the top 3%, within three to five years, the top 3% will have all the money again. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I stop it, if I, if I stop it, because they got the memo on, on how wealth creation works and everybody else did not. If I stop at an off ramp, give a homeless man, if I won the lottery maybe, give the homeless man a million dollars, he'll be broken six months. Dude. That's right. If, if nothing else changes in his life other than I gave him a million dollars, he'll be broken six months because his mindset hasn't changed. His life right. has, hasn't changed. Right. You're making a powerful point, and I, I don't think I could have summed it up any better. Uh, I do want to take a, a swing back in time to 1992. Uh, I mentioned that you are the founder of Operation Hope, and you founded Operation Hope back in 1992, immediately after the Rodney King uh, riots. Uh, tell us about your motivation to start Operation Hope and what the mission of the organization is. Yes, I created Operation Hope because I believe in 1992 and I believe in 2021 that we're sitting in a moment in history, more so now than then. Um, but history doesn't feel historic when you're sitting in it. It just feels like another day. Right. But that, does, but that doesn't mean the moment is actually not historic. When t- in 1992, it was, right, it was at that point the worst riot in U.S. history, Watts riots before that. Uh, it was that inflection moment where you could do something. And in South Central L.A., a lot of things have the potential to change as a result of Rodney King losing uh, his justice, sense of justice in that trial with the officers who beat him. He subsequently died, God rest his soul. Today, though, George Floyd gave his life almost like a martyr, didn't give his life, his life was taken. But I think that rainbows you know, follow storms. We now have this 400-year-old social justice reckoning, I call it the Black America, uh, and it, and really, I'm really executing on what I planned in 1992. 1992, I said, I'm, I, I want to eradicate poverty as we know it in my lifetime. I want to move us from civil rights to silver rights. I said, I want to move renters to homeowners and small business dreamers into small business owners and dreamers into owners and doers. And I said this, check cashing customers and the banking customers. This is 1992. But what I was essentially saying was, I'm going to finish the work of the Freedmen's Bank of 1865, chartered to teach free slaves about money. I want to create a sustainable economic system, infrastructure for black America, and by extension, to help underserved America, which include my poor white friends, to refine their talents and skills such that they can compete in, a, in the largest economy on the planet and build wealth and add two to 3% of GDP. So I have four goals, same goals that I had back then, create an economic infrastructure and a system, rebootable, scalable, software upgradable for black America. Every other race has it, every other culture has it, except us. Number two, I mean, even Native American Indians have a form of an infrastructure, which, which is called you know casinos and gambling. I don't agree with it, but at least they have some kind of sustainable economic system. We black folks right. are just great consumers, $1.4 trillion a year 
in consumer spending. We'd be one of the largest economies in the world if it was based on spending. But but that's the spending and wealth creation are literally two different things. So right. one, economic infrastructure. Two, to help the bottom 50% of the economy, which includes my poor white friends uh, and Latinos and Asians and Indians and others, to come up two to 3% of GDP growth. That's my last book, Up From Nothing. Third thing is through Operation Hope to become America's financial coach, uh, like the private banker to the average American citizen uh, uh, who got too much a month at the end of their money and to get the bank out of the no business and into the yes business again. Yes, you can become a homeowner. Yes, you can become a small business owner. Yes, you can send your kids to college. Yes, you can have access to credit. So because you cannot have a modern growth economy without good debt. Uh, and, and, and a good banking system that supports you. And then the fourth thing is to be a bit of a, as you said earlier, I guess a conscious on capitalism. Absolutely. During the same time, shortly after the riots, you started the Bankers Bus Tour. And I think the fires were still burning uh, from the riots at the time that you started that tour. Tell us a little bit more about the Bankers Bus Tour. You do your homework, my man. Bankers Bus Tour <laughs> was uh, um, like a trade mission to France or Latin America, or you know, it's a trade a trade mission to Asia. Only this was a trade mission to South Central LA. <laughs> uh, that 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 if you were an executive in downtown Los Angeles, you drove your driver drove you right through South Central every day, and you never stopped to look around. But this is a gold mine. I mean, it's fifteen minutes from the airport, fifteen right. minutes from downtown Los Angeles, fifteen minutes from the beach. 15 minutes from the port, ports of Los Angeles, five minutes from two freeways. I mean, it's centrally located real estate. Uh, but we called it South Central LA, i.e. Black, the Black community, and we devalued it. And what I said, no, is no, no, no. We just don't, under, we don't see the values in front of us. An inner city in France is called Paris. <laughs> An inner city right. in, the U, in the UK is called London. I mean, my God, the inner city in Turkey is called Istanbul. So let's take you guys, put you on a bus, bankers bus tour, investors, bankers, whatever, and let me walk you through and storytell. This is where I began to learn the power of storytelling. Let me tell the story of this community, where it came from, who used to live here, who lives here now, the economics of the country, the city, the buying power. Uh, and look, these are tree line beautiful, well-maintained streets. This this could be in Pasadena. If, I, if you didn't know where you were and I cl and you closed your eyes, right. you think you were, you think you were in Pasadena, California or, or Beverly Hills, maybe, or, you know, but this was South Central Los Angeles, tree line, well-maintained, pride of ownership is not black or white or Latino right. or Asian. Right. It's just pride of ownership. So it was, it was really about telling, retelling our story through an economic lens. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, uh, Operation Hope has uh, one of the most impressive boards uh, of advisors that I've seen. I think you recently added the Chief Executive Office of Experian North America. Uh, talk to yeah. me about your, the importance of surrounding yourself with uh, great talent. Oh my God, man. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is everything. Like, culture is not the most important thing in business. It's the only thing in business. <laughs> right. Uh, it's actually the only thing in your life. People listening to this podcast from their home, your household has a culture. Right. You're listening to it from work. Your job has a culture. 
the division of your job you're in, the department, the, the building your job is in has a culture. Uh, you're looking and listening to it from, from the car. The neighborhood you're driving through right now has a culture. Culture, you know, this country we're in, we're not a country, we're an idea. America's an idea. We can make her or remake her, whatever we want. Everything is culture. So if you, so here's a real dramatic expression of that. If you hang around nine broke people, you'll be the 10th. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the opposite of that D is also true. You know, I, 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 my first job, this is also from my book Up From Nothing, my first job, big real job, was working as a, bu a busboy at a restaurant. I lived in South Central LA, and I could have got a restaurant, a job, at, you know, IHOP or whatever, some little restaurant in my community. I'm like, well, these people, nobody, nobody around here can help me with anything. <laughs> I mean, they're all broke right. like me. <laughs> right. So I got, I, I got on the bus and, and took a bus for an hour to Lower Santa Monica, I confused Palisades with Palafurries, but I think it's Palisades. I got a job at Gladstone's for Fish Restaurant. And I worked there for a couple of weeks, D, and I realized the people who I was waiting on, you know, attorneys, accountants, professionals, okay, you know, much better than yeah. I was doing in South Central LA, but I'm like, well, that, that, I'm not aiming high enough. I want to be an owner. I don't want to be a person servicing the owners. So right. I took another bus, another 30 minutes up the coast to a fancy restaurant called Joffrey's. And I met my first billionaire, uh, Harvey Baskin, who financed the restaurant for his lover, Joffrey Etienne. And I met Jeff, Joffrey Etienne and met and met Joffrey and met Harvey Baskin. And I got the they gave me a, the worst shift they had Monday nights, <laughs> a busboy and a waiter on Monday night shift. That's the deadest day in a restaurant. Right. Uh, but they gave me that job, and I was really lousy at it. It wasn't very good. But I did, I did well enough to hang around so that Harvey hired me as his assistant. Man, shoot. I, I mean, once I started working with Harvey and worked out of, the Malibu, out of his Malibu Beach House, uh, which was formerly the Malibu train station, converted, it's three, four-story beach house. I mean, it was gorgeous. I'm going, okay, this is a whole different world here now, right? And right. Um, I took him to dinner. It's, again, all these stories in my book. I took him to dinner one night. Uh, to ask him a bunch of questions and we go to dinner and i'm driving him like driving this day he's in the back seat and i'm driving his leg his foot's broken so he's in the back seat with his leg extended i didn't care how i look <laughs> so we just, he's a billionaire and i want to i want to suck his brain for knowledge so i go to dinner and uh, ask him a bunch of questions after dinner's over um he the bill comes and he slides me the bill to pay it it's like a hundred bucks which was everything back then he only paid me like, <laughs> like he only paid me like eighteen thousand dollars a year back then right so I, I slid the bill back over to him he slid the bill back to me i slid the bill back to him <laughs> he slid the bill back to me i trust he said stop 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 <laughs> he, said, he said what are you doing i said hey man you the you the old uber rich dude i work for you you know how much money i make I'm, you know, you, you pay it. He said, look, you have, to, you have to decide what you want. Do you want to pick my brain or pick my pocket? <laughs> and I, I quietly did pull the bill back <laughs> over, <laughs> pulled out my little raggedy wallet <laughs> and paid it and asked him questions the entire way back home. That was my education. That was my university, yeah. mentors, role models, Asking right. questions, being curious. What did Quincy Jones say? Uh, he said, you know, how'd you get so smart? I'm just nosy as hell. <laughs>
That's right. Okay. Well, hang on a minute, John. We have to stop right here. But coming up in the second part of my discussion with best-selling author and philanthropist John Hope Bryant, John talks about how his Promise Homes company is helping improve the homeownership rate among Black Americans. So we have a rent-to-own strategy that if you pay our rent on time to us, we'll sort of back you after three to five years to go buy a home. You can buy a home from us out of our portfolio, or you can go buy it. We had a couple people just go buy homes, and we helped you with that process. We essentially back, you know, vouched for you with the lender. This has been The Sky's the Limit with D. Brown. To find out more about D, go to dbrownceo.com. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out the p 3 groupincom The Sky's the Limit is a production of Forbes Books.